Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm David Kern and I quickly wanted to say a word of thanks to some of our friends who are making this show possible. Our friends over at the CLT, the Classic Learning Test, are doing an amazing work. They're a classically-based alternative to the SAT and the ACT, and it's the fastest-growing college entrance exam in America today. More than 90 colleges now accept the CLT, and many of them even endorse the CLT as their preferred admissions test. That's even more than the SAT and the ACT. Students who take the test can benefit from same-day test results and can share their scores with colleges for no additional charge. To learn more or to find out how to take a test, you can head over to cltexam.com. Again, to register for the CLT, you head over to cltexam.com. So again, thanks so much to our friends over at the Classic Learning Test for sponsoring the Cersei Institute Podcast Network this month. It's because of them and partners like them that this network is possible. And with that, enjoy your show. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Ask Andrew, episode 15. The last couple of episodes, we've had the great pleasure of Katie, Katerina, Catherine the Great, Katya, Rena Kern joining us, which is the two-syllable version of her name. You should hear the full thing. And it's been really great for me. I hope you've enjoyed it too. But in the in the last episode, we talked about curriculum a bit and what what is she teaching to her students over in Uganda. And I was struck by how common, how um, similar is what the word I want to what we want to teach at least our, our students here in the in the classical schools, if nowhere else, here in the states. So, Katie, mm. hi, hi. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I would like this time to talk with you about curriculum, mm-hmm. maybe more explicitly or more specifically. And the reason I want to is because it's a while ago now, and I'm sorry, Liz, for this, but I got an email from a lady named Liz, um, Liz Gitonga, who lives in Kenya, and it fits our discussion quite well because she says very kindly, she begins by saying that she's a regular visitor to our site, which God has used as a tool for her education on classical education, which is our dream. So glory to God for that. That That's my life has meaning after all, see? Mm-hmm. But she goes on to say, I am a Kenyan living in Kenya and our family is one of the first five families that begun homeschooling in Kenya about 18 years ago, pioneer family. That was me interjecting that. During these years, I have learned about classical education and have used some aspects here and there of classical education. I regret I have not thoroughly immersed myself and gone all the way in teaching my children classically. They are now 11, 14, and 20, with the 20-year-old now in college. I, however, realized that perhaps I needed time 
to learn and delve deeper on the thinking behind classical education so as to fully appreciate its offerings before I can claim to be delivering a classical education. I'm going to interrupt for a second because I want to say how much I appreciate the combination here of boldness and humility, the boldness to pioneer, the boldness to be one of five first families in a country to to begin homeschooling. You know, in America, in the States here, we have, what is it? Some people claim 3 million students being homeschooled. But there was a time not terribly long ago when nobody was sure it was legal. And we owe a debt of gratitude to those pioneers that can never be, never be paid. And so to you, Liz, thank you for what you've done there in Kenya. And then the humility. I regret I have not thoroughly immersed myself. You were talking in the last session about your regrets when you have a graduate. Yeah. And I share that with, you know, with my children. And I think of how they could have been good if it weren't for their parents. But, yeah. but we're, we're, we're full of regret. Life, life is too short. And none of us are smart enough, wise enough to figure the whole thing out. But she says, I regret I haven't thoroughly immersed myself and gone all the way in teaching my children classically. And I, I want to say to that, that I'm not sure anybody in the history of the world has gone all the way mm-hmm. in teaching their children classically, because the classical approach to education is based on a dream. It's an act of faith. And if we were perfectly wise and perfectly virtuous, we could go a long way. But we'd need a civilization that supports it. We'd need, we'd need so much. And I, I, I want to say, Liz, don't regret. Don't regret. From the outside, thank you for what you did. You have an 11, a 14, and a 20-year-old, and note the 20-year-old is in college. And then you say another humble statement that puts the regret in perspective, and I really appreciate this. I, however, realized that perhaps I needed time to learn and delve deeper on the thinking behind classical education. That's a profound statement. I needed time to learn and delve deeper. Well, there's a practical right there. Just the fact that we live in time, which can be frustrating when we want to learn things. But specifically, not on classical education, but on the thinking behind classical education. This is a lady that really wants to understand why classical education is. What what is what are the principles? What what is the nature of it? What is its what is its um what's the appropriate way to do it? And then she says the benefit of that would be to fully appreciate its offerings before I can claim to be delivering a classical education. You know, some some of us we when when I read my first essay on classical education, I figured I got it. I went around telling everybody I was gonna mm-hmm. deliver a classical education. It it took me a little while, but I figured out I'm not gonna be doing that but we can move toward it. And she goes on to say, I believe all my learning has not been in vain and will be of some value to our own children and to many other families in homeschools and perhaps even Christian schools. I recognize there is still so much to learn, but listen to this now. This is where it becomes part of our discussion. I would like to develop a classical curriculum that delves into African civilization. Studying the Greeks and Romans and Hebrews, I believe, is foundational. For us to appreciate our African culture, 
and examine the beliefs, values, and morals that have undergirded this culture historically is imperative. I would like your thoughts on this, she says. I would like yours, Katie. You have more insight into the specifics. Do you agree that studying the Greeks and Romans and Hebrews is foundational? I do, yeah. Do you agree that to appreciate our... That, well, she says our, so mm-hmm. I'll say for her there. To appreciate their African culture and examine the beliefs, values, and morals mm-hmm. that have undergirded this culture is imperative. Yes, I agree. And then and then, how is that done? What What is... What is the relation? Let's put it this way, because we get this a lot in terms of in, a, in the States here. Is this just white education? Mm, yeah. What is the relation between the Greek, Roman, and Hebrew education on the one side, if it's another side, yeah. and African civilization, African culture on the other side? How have you, well, I'll let you answer that question, but what the mm-hmm. question in my mind then is, how have you encountered that? Well, first, I want to say I'm really excited about this email because I also really want to see what African heritage, how that can play a, a bigger role in classical education, because mm-hmm. I think it should. So that's that's an exciting prospect to me that we can continue this. And there are a lot of people who are starting to try and put more of African culture and heritage into classical education. It's the beginning of a conversation that we're still working through, but it's really exciting to me to hear that there are more people who are trying to engage in this. So hopefully we can bring our thoughts and our ideas together and develop something a little bit more coherent, a little bit more um, complete than what we have right now. It's a work in progress very much. But the first thing I would say about that, even just the setup of thinking that we've got the Greek and the Roman and the Hebrew and then the African, I, I'm i not sure I agree with that, uh, those categories, because even as Christians, we're cross-cultural. Hmm. We are adopting another culture. Christians are the Gentiles. We have been adopted into Jewish huh. culture. Thank you. So for us to say that somehow Christian cultural, uh, our heritage is our own and we, we have a monopoly on it. Well, no, we don't. We are, we are adopted into Jewish heritage. We are the outsiders in some way in that. And we're, we're constantly cross-cultural. If we're going to be Christians, if we're claiming we're Christians and we're claiming we're cross-cultural and we are living within another person's culture, and that would be the Jewish culture. And if it's not the Jewish culture, it's the early Christians who are either Greek or Roman. We're Even as Christians, we're living within a cross-cultural category, cross-cultural categories. So I think that's the first thing I would say about that. Um, but isn't, isn't America, sorry, isn't Christianity now basically defined by its Americanness. So so the way the American church functions is the way the world church functions, right? So it's it's no. a it's a it's an American thing. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. No. I, I think that I mean you've got the British missionaries who are going over to Africa. African Christianity was first British long before it was American. Um in the in the eighteenth century. We appreciate the their prologue there. Pardon? We appreciate their uh-huh. pro- prologue to our serious work. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, you've got Protestantism was initially German and not not American by any means. And English before that, if you count the Anglican church as a, as a Protestant church, which in a way you could. I mean, you've, you Christianity in America is its own specific appearance of Christianity or version of Christianity, but I haven't found Christianity across the globe to be the same as it is in America. 
Well, but isn't that bad? Isn't, shouldn't we be sad for all those people who aren't like us? <laughs> I don't know if you want me to answer that on, <laughs> on <laughs> something that's being recorded. <laughs> yes, I do. I feel like I'm getting into to dangerous territory here. I think that if we are able to appreciate another culture, then we can deepen our own. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to understand American culture better, I had to leave it and I had to experience other cultures. And then I come back and I can see American culture in a way I'd never seen it before. And, and in the same way, when we're looking at a different culture, when we're trying to step into, let's say, Greek culture by reading Homer, we need to be able to separate ourselves from our American culture, come to it as strangers. Any text that we read, any work of art that we, that we experience, we have to first come to it as a stranger and empty ourselves of our presuppositions and be willing to learn from it and see what it has to offer us. And then after we've done that, we can bring back our cultural presuppositions and we can say, okay, well, how does this relate to America or how does this relate to my experiences? But we have to first come to any great text, any great work of art as though we are strangers experiencing something wholly new. But isn't that unsettling? Isn't that precisely one of the reasons people don't like reading things from other cultures or learning a foreign language or nobody likes to be exposed as ignorant. Right. Yes. Or as not belonging. Yes. I think it has to be practiced. I think we have to every day feel the discomfort of being a stranger in a circumstance. That's so interesting because I've had a... A, a, an analogous experience. I won't mm-hmm. by no means the same, but I had an analogous experience when I went to a, a Latin camp where mm. it was immersion. And yeah. I, I, I had never before that spoken Latin for more than one or two sentences. And literally for seven days, everybody was forbidden from speaking any language but Latin. And I can't tell you how demoralizing, humiliating, Mm -hmm. um, isolating an experience that was. And and that if if a person isn't willing to be uh, exposed that way, I guess it's impossible to get educated then, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's what you learn when you travel to a different country, especially I do almost all of my traveling I've done alone. And when I go to a country where I don't speak the language, it's very, very hard. And I have to be willing to ask the stupid questions and to to look like a complete idiot because I cannot figure out for the life of me how to pay for the train or what train to even get on. You have to constantly be asking for help and asking for guides along the way. And that is education. We have to be willing to start by looking like fools and ignorant. And, and be, we have to embrace that feeling of discomfort, of just being completely out of place in a foreign land. That's what we do when we read a good book. Okay, I I'm, I'm, I'm so appreciate this point. Um, what's going through my mind is how in our schools, we use the word relevant. Oh, yeah. We always want to make stu- learning relevant. Uh-huh. Now, the other thing our schools constantly promote and talk about is cross-cultural multiculturalism. Yeah. Right? Cross-culturalism, multiculturalism. I think you're on to something here that's really, really, really fundamental. That education must be a cross-cultural experience by its mm-hmm. very nature. Mm-hmm. You're not a member of the educated culture. Right? Right. 
and by that I might mean that you you are not a member of those who have read To Kill a Mockingbird. You have to enter as a stranger. Yeah. But we're always trying to take away the discomfort from our students. And in so doing, we disable their ability to be educated. I think that we fear... Undercut their ability. Yeah, I think that by removing that discomfort, what we're communicating to them is that we fear somehow what that discomfort might lead to, which communicates to them, I'm not sure if this makes sense, but it communicates to them that there isn't a stable foundation. Oh, yeah. And that anxiety makes them feel that there isn't a a shared common humanity. And if we believe Mm. that we have a shared common humanity and it doesn't matter what culture you're in, it doesn't matter what text you're reading, whether it was 3,000 years ago or yesterday, we're all human, and because of that, we don't need to fear being the stranger. Um, if we can truly believe that, we don't need to fear our students feeling that anxiety of of entering into a different culture or the discomfort of being the stranger. We can embrace that if we know that no matter what, they will find humanity in the core of what they're what they're beholding. That's so incredible. I I, I think that you're, I think that you're tapping into something so profound that I'm going to have to ask Liz to forgive me (laughs) because we've run out of time Okay. and I'd really like to pick this thread up again in our next podcast. Will you join me again? (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) I want to renew the discussion about Liz's proposal, but also this whole conception of education being innately, unavoidably Mm -hmm. an encounter of, of a stranger with with a civilization, with a, with a, with a, I mean, a book is a civilization embodied. Yeah. And it's not about ruling it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. about approaching it as a stranger, humbly and seeking guidance and help. Yes. That's so incredible to me. You need to write a book about this. <laughs> well, hey, so you'll join me again next episode. Sure, I'd love to. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I love you. 